into a mirror naturally. You go in the bathroom in the morning and maybe there's a knot in your hair or maybe your tie's on wrong. Or, and you don't know it until you see yourself. And that's what these commandments have been for me. It's a, a way to see what God sees. Because when I line up with the truth of the word, it's much different than what I think in my head. So it's a mixed thought, but I'm so thankful for what God is doing here, even though it's embarrassing to think that I stray so far from what he has planned for my life, for the blessings that he has. It's encouraging to know that he loves us, and he loves us enough to get us back on the path that leads to life and blessing blessing not only for my family but for our church and for the city so I'm glad you're on this journey with us and let's begin today is about lying and there are some core things about this commandment that make it really difficult because my particular personality is I was raised in the south which meant you're raised to be very gracious you're raised to be polite You're raised to say things that make people feel good about themselves rather than pointing out the obvious that you could say. Ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Most translations say this ninth commandment this way, giving false testimony. And we'll explain why that was so important. And then the New Living Bible is you must not lie. So inherent in this command is, first of all, that we don't give false testimony for the society around us, for civilization, because truth is a pillar that allows civilization to stand. There can be no justice without truth and truth-telling. Now, in the Old Testament... That was a time in history where, of course, they didn't have CSI, they didn't have video cameras, they didn't have phones that recorded everything. Everything rose and fell on eyewitness testimony. And so God is saying to his people here, it is important, it is the most important thing that you tell the truth, that you don't lie, you don't give a false witness against your neighbor, you tell the truth. In fact, it was so important that in the Hebrew Bible, it talks about how if you lie, if you bear false witness against your neighbor in court, giving a testimony, that when the truth comes out, you will be given the same punishment that that person receives, even if it was the sentence of death. If you bore false witness and testimony in court against your neighbor, you would be sentenced to death if it found out that you were lying. Because we're talking about God's justice here is about the sanctity of reputation. We've talked about the sanctity, the sacredness of life, the sacredness of the marriage covenant, And today we're talking about the sacredness, the sanctity of a reputation of someone's uh, name. (laughs) I had to work hard to find this example. This example is 20 years old. This is a 20-year-old movie, people. And you can tell it. Once you see the video, you'll go, oh, my gosh, and the the fashions. But this is the the movie Liar, Liar, and I don't necessarily recommend it. I thought it was better until we went back and looked. Asla and I were looking at the clips. And you had to stop it every few minutes because there was some, oh, can't show that in church. Oh, can't see that. So it was like we have these little snippets, two little snippets that we could use to keep this a G-rated clip. So anyway, but this is what it would be like if everyone had to tell the truth all the time, which, of course, we're supposed to. That's what God's desire is. So this is what it would look like. <laughs> 
You know why I pulled you over? Depends on how long you were following me. Why don't we just take it from the top? Here goes. I sped. I followed too closely. I ran a stop sign. I almost hit a Chevy. I sped some more. I failed to yield at a crosswalk. I changed lanes in the intersection. I changed lanes without signaling while running a red light and speeding. Is that all? No. I have unpaid parking tickets. Be gentle. Be gentle. So that's my prayer this morning, that God will be gentle with us as he points out the, the sin that's in our heart regarding his heart about being a truth teller. The Bible tells us in Titus that God cannot lie. He cannot lie. He will not lie. He does not lie. And we're, we're counting on that. We are relying on that, that what he has told us about our future, what he's told us about eternity is the truth, right? We are counting on that. But he wants his sons and daughters to reflect his nature and to be truthful in everything that we do, in every impression that we give, in every aspect of our life at work. In our marriage relationships, being a truth teller. Now, as I said before, in the Old Testament, everything relied on eyewitness testimony. So God was making the point that your word has to be accurate. Your word has to be truthful. Your word has to be reliable. People need to be able to take you at your word. What you say is what you mean. And we even say now in our court system to tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's important even today. I tell you this. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. That's scary enough. Your words now reflect your fate then. Either you will be justified by your words or you will be condemned. And we're going to... We're gonna, talk about the idle ways that we speak words and the ways that we lie when we're not even realizing that we are lying. There's another verse that I didn't put up from Proverbs. It says, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, and shooting them with a sharp arrow. So in God's view, when I lie about you, when I bear false witness about you, it is physically, it's like physically assaulting that person in the eyes of God. And until I understand that, until I recognize the truth of that, telling a lie will just be like an innocent, well, everybody does it. Everybody has to do it to get along. I have to lie to my boss. I have to lie to my husband. I have to lie to my wife. It won't hurt. It's just going to make our life easier. It's going to make my relationship better. And until I understand, until I accept the fact that lying particularly lying about someone or to someone, it's like physically assaulting them is how God sees it. I'll never really understand what God means when he says, I desire truth deep inside you. I desire truthfulness. That truthfulness to come forth in every relationship that you deal with and every time you're asked to speak, I want truthfulness to be on your tongue. That's my character I demonstrate truthfulness to you. And that's what I want to see in my sons and my daughters. 
Martin Luther, the great reformer, says there are three types of lies. And we're going to discuss those. The first two will go very quickly. And I'll give you an example. Pastor Mark and Mr. Strombeck Sr. were fishing a couple months ago. He's looking at me like, what, what we were? They were fishing. And they were, setting, they were taking the boat, and they, they launched down at High Point, which is on the St. John's. High Banks, excuse me, High Banks. And they had a wonderful time. They were talking and laughing and just having a good time. He was mentoring Pastor Mark, and it was wonderful. Well, they were pulling the boat out of the, the launching spot. They were pulling it out of the water, and they had two big coolers of fish. Well, the game warden walks up to Mr. Strombeck Sr. and says, Sir, do you have a fishing license for those fish? He said, Well, no, sir, I don't, because these are pet fish. And Pastor Mark is looking over at him, and he's like, No, these are pet fish. And the game warden's like, Pet fish? That's, that's a load of crap. And Mr. Strombeck Sr. says, No, sir, they're, they're my pet fish. And what happens is I put them in the water, and they swim around, and they, you know, get their exercise. And then when it's time to go, I call them, and they jump back in the cooler, and we go home. The game warns like, that's crazy. That I, this is so ridiculous. I have to see this. And so Mr. Strombeck, he, he tipped the coolers over, and the fish swam, and he stands there like this. And after a few minutes, the game warns like, well. And Mr. Strombeck said, well, what, sir? Well, when are you going to call the fish back? He's like, what fish? <laughs> when are the fish going to jump back in the water or back in the cooler? What fish are you referring to? <laughs> now, that's, that's, does anybody think that, that really happened? Now, possibly it could have, but it didn't. So uh, Martin Luther is saying that first type of lying is humorous, and that's not really considered lying because if you know I'm telling the joke, then that's not really counted as a lie. So you don't have to repent, although I do need to apologize for using, throwing you in the story. But if you know it's a joke, then it's not considered a lie per se. The second, so that's humorous. The second is called a helpful lie. There's a several instances in the Bible where, the, where people and people of God told a lie. And God doesn't even admonish them for that. In fact, in some cases, he blesses them. And I'll give you two quick examples. There was a time when the midwives were given instructions by the government to kill any male Jewish baby that they helped deliver. Well, you've got to, you're on the horns of a dilemma. Because on one hand, the, the commandments say, do not lie. On the other hand, the commandment says, do not murder. So they had to make a choice, and since immediate death was imminent, they chose life, and they lied. Another example is Rahab. Remember the story where she, was, she hid the Jewish spies that came? She hid them on a roof. When the government came once again and said, the officials came and said, where, have you seen the spies, where are they? And she's like, well, no, I, I, they, I think they went off that way. She had that dilemma. Do I honor the commandment not to lie? Or do I honor the commandment not to see something, someone get murdered? Now, when we say these are helpful lies, let me just say that most probably you will not have to make that decision. 
we come up with these fantastic scenarios like, well, if the Nazis come in the middle of the night and they knock on my door and they say, are you hiding any, any Jewish people? What would I say? Is that really probably going to happen ever to you? Probably not. We say no. So we don't really have to concern ourselves with this lie. Where we need to concern ourselves and, and have the Lord examine our heart is in the last one, which is the harmful lie. And let's talk about why. I'm not going to explain these. I think they're pretty explanatory. You'll see yourself in some of them. You'll see your husband or wife in some of them, and we'll all cry together. We lie to avoid negative consequences. We don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to have to face the truth. We don't want to have to explain. It's just easier to tell a quick lie. What's it really going to, is it really going to hurt anybody? It's just a little, they used to call it a little white lie. To protect an illusion of what we are. To protect ourselves, The Bible tells us over and over and over to be humble. To be transparent. We lie. To cover up. To protect. To present to the world how they want. How we want them to see us. We lie to get what we want. We lie to remain in control. We see this a lot with husbands and wives. That relationship. We lie to play God. We lie because of peer pressure. I don't want to be the only one that's telling the truth. I don't want to be the one to tell the boss what people think. I don't want to be the one, the only one that's not stealing from the break room. I don't want to be the only one because it's not cool to be the one standing up for the truth. I don't want to be that person. I want people to like me. How do we lie? What are some ways that the Bible talks about that the Lord wants us to examine this morning? Are these practices in us? First one is flattery. We have another quick little clip from that same movie. Now, let me give you the definition first of flattery. It's insincere, excessive praise intended to manipulate. It's insincere, it's not real, and you're doing it for a selfish reason. Hi, Mr. Reed! Whoa, hey! Did you do something to your hair? <laughs> it's a bit extreme, isn't it? Oh, I mean, that's, that's a thing nowadays, right? Well, he said it would accent my facial features. Well, that's what it does. It completely accents your facial features. <gasps> We're just gonna go down to my office now. <clears throat> <laughs> Hi, Fletcher. Hey, Pete. You losing a little weight? I don't know. Maybe. Looks and personality. A double threat guy. Hey, Mr. Reed. Hey, man. It's uh, Randy. Yeah, I know. Taking lunch uh, orders, Mr. Reed. Anything? No, thanks. Um, had so much for breakfast, I'm just about ready to pop. I mean, I'm full. Okay. Great. Flattery. I was talking with Sandra um, earlier this week, and we were talking about encouragement. Now, flattery is different from the gift of encouragement. And she was saying how much her boss, who is not a believer, relied on her to encourage him. 
That's not flatter him. That's not to say, oh, you're such a good boss, or oh, you're so handsome, or oh, you're so whatever. He relied on her for genuine, the gift of encouragement. No, God has a plan for this business. Your business is supporting many people in this city. Words of encouragement, words of truth, words of encouragement. There is a difference from what this man was doing, walking down the hallway, just flattering everybody for his own purpose, and actually seeing something that's true and pointing it out. Even um, I had a, a conversation with uh, my daughter-in-law a couple weeks ago, and she was like, well, you know, you just always see the, the positive side of things. I, I want to say things the way they really are. I want to I be able to say what I really feel. And I said, and I want you to, but I need to tell you, this is how I really see things. I really see things as half full. And to her, it was like I was flattering her, but I wasn't. That was my personality. That was the gift of encouragement. So there's a difference, and we need to know the difference. So very good. Flattery. Deception. This is an interesting one because when I think of deception, I think of, am I trying to deceive you? Am I wronging you by trying to trick you some way or, or somehow get something back from you? But this verse is putting the responsibility to not be deceived on me. Now, God is talking here like a loving father to us. And he says, little children, let no one deceive you. So he's putting the responsibility on me not to be deceived. You think, well, how can that be? If I'm deceived, I, I, I don't know it. I'm, I'm tricked. And it reminds me of Eve in the garden. Because we know, that the, the, we know that God is the author of truth. He cannot lie. And we know that the author of lies is Satan. And in the garden, he indeed tricked her. But what did God do? He came to Eve and said, what have you done? And he held her responsible, as well as Adam, for being deceived, for being tricked. That means the responsibility is on me to not be foolish. One of the things that we love about children is their, is their childlikeness. They are so gullible, they'll believe anything that you tell them, especially as a parent. And so that's why as parents and grandparents, we're very, very careful what we expose our young children to, what we allow them to see, what we allow them to hear as young children, because they will believe anything. But God is saying here to us, his sons and his daughters, I don't want you to be gullible. I don't want you to be childish. I want you to grow up and, and know when you're being deceived, you have my word, you have my spirit. You have pastors. You have a church. Don't let yourself be deceived. Slander. Now, libel is when you write something untrue about someone. And slander is when you say something untrue about someone. And you think, well, why? I mean, you can just go apologize, and, and what's the big deal? But let me tell you a, a story. There was a rabbi. He lived many years ago, and he, as most people should be, he was concerned with his reputation. He spent his life working hard, paying what, was, what he owed people. He worked hard to maintain a reputation so that his children could have a name to live up to and not be ashamed. And he labored in this community, and he served those people for many, many years, and he was beloved. One day... 
a man came to, and moved to this village, and he was just visiting. But he stayed there for a while. And after a while, the rabbi would hear that, that this man was saying cruel and horrible things about him, untrue things. This went on for a while, and the rabbi started to notice that people were starting to believe those lies. And the people that didn't believe those lies were starting to suspect or starting to be suspicious or starting to have doubts in their mind about this man, about his character, about the reputation that he had taken so long and careful to build, the sanctity of his reputation. So as time went on, this man who had moved to the village decided, I want to make this village my home. I like it here. So he thought, I need to go make amends with the rabbi if I'm going to live here. Now, by this time, his words had caused much trouble for the rabbi. But the man went and said, Rabbi, sir, I want you to know that I'm very sorry for what I've said about you. I have told lies about you. I have told things about you that were not true. And I want you to know that I am deeply sorry. What can I do to fix this? What can I do to make this relationship right? So the rabbi said, well... You can take a pillow, and you can go out to the point on a windy day. I want you to tear the pillow open, and I want you to let the feathers fly in the wind. Shake them all out. Let them all be carried by the breeze. So the man kind of scratched his head a bit, but yes, yes, sir. If that's what will make things right between us, I will do that. So a week goes by. The man goes back to the rabbi and says, okay, sir, I have done that. Is our relationship mended? Have I made right what I broke? The rabbi said, I have one more thing I would like you to do. I would like you to take that pillowcase and go and retrieve every feather that has flown. The man's like, I can't. That's impossible. That's impossible. I can't go, I can't find where every feather has been carried. I can't do that. And the rabbi said, exactly. Exactly. Going to someone and apologizing after the fact is what we need to do. But it will never regain the truth entirely. Because what you have said has been carried to one person, another person, a person after that. And now with the internet, social media, the truth can never be regained. That was one of Spurgeon's greatest regrets. When he was a young pastor, he was still single. And a publication in London produced an untrue story about him. They wrote that he had inappropriate relations with some of the young women in his church. That was totally false, totally untrue, but it was out there. Of course, they, they published a disclaimer further back in the paper, and who knows who read it. But that was a source of depression for Spurgeon because he worked hard to maintain a reputation of honor and integrity. And several years after that, he went to America to do meetings. And the people would come up and ask him, well, what is it about that we've heard about these women have you repented? What was that about? And it was a source of great sadness because it was totally false. There was nothing he could do to get back those feathers that had flown 
halfway around the world. There's a thing, I believe it was Mark Twain that said, truth will be halfway around the world. Excuse me, a lie will be halfway around the world before truth can get its boots on. And that's true. That's true. False teaching. I just find it very ironic that the God who does not lie, cannot lie, is constantly being lied about. Constantly. And false teaching is what that is. But false prophets also arose among the people in the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you. False teachers that's trendy, weird, hip, people that just want to help God out. Make God palatable to the 21st century. You know, we can't really expect people to believe in the great flood. We can't really expect people to believe in the virgin birth. We can't really even understand or explain the Trinity. So we're going to help God out. And we're going to change some things. And so false teachers are people that actually commit heresy. And that's like an old school word for when the foundational doctrines of the word are falsified or not believed. Heresy is not like, you know, I think we should sprinkle water on people instead of baptize them. Or I think we shouldn't have guitars in the band. That's not heresy. Heresy is when you take the, 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 the pillars of what we believe and say those are no longer true. Because we need to be God's PR man. We need to edit what God is saying because the 21st century is just not going to believe it. That's false teaching. That's a lie. We participate in that when we believe it and we get involved with that. Gossip. Now, this isn't going to apply to anybody in this service, so we can just go ahead and skip this point. What do you think? You can read that verse there. Now, the main way that I see that, that we gossip, and I, I shouldn't be smiling when I say it, but this teaching is so difficult. I have to keep smiling because this is so hard teaching of how many ways... We murder people with words, tarnish their reputation, break that sanctity of what they're trying to build with their name. But one of the ways that we gossip, the main way that we gossip in church is the beloved prayer request. Let me have the prayer request and give me all the details for the prayer request because I need to know every detail for the prayer request. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I will raise mine. Sometimes we don't need to know the details. Sometimes if the details are told to us, it's only for us. But we feel like if we're praying about it, it's okay to break that covenant of trust. So how do you know? How do you know when you're gossiping? How do you know when you're just... I need to share. How do you know? Let's look at questions we can ask ourselves. And in the small group, we really want you to be wrestling with this, wrestling through this question. Does this exact information need to be communicated? You can always pray about this at home, you know. It doesn't have to be spoken out in a, in a meeting with everybody who doesn't need to know about it is hearing it. Does it need to be communicated by me? Am I supposed to be sharing it or should a pastor be sharing this? Or should the person who needs the prayer be allowed to share? To these people, 
at this time, with this motive, through this medium, in this meeting, in this text, by the time you run through this list of questions, you've got your filter back in place. And you'll know, is this okay to say, am I slandering someone? Am I defaming someone? Am I out and out lying about someone? Those of us who work in the church or raised as pastors and missionaries, we know the damage that lying does. Most Bible-believing churches have things on the Internet about them. Some of the lies still live on. You can only erase it so much, but they're still there. Suggested reading the book of James. book of James in our tongue. How many people has it set on fire? Would you stand with me? I need to ask you a question. It says in Matthew that a house divided against itself cannot what? Cannot stand. And this instance we're talking about lying in ourselves, lying Versus the truth. Now, it's interesting about the human mind that we cannot hold two opposing points of view to believe two opposing points of view for very long. Your mind will gravitate. You'll, you'll latch on to one as the truth and you'll negate the other because you cannot believe. You can hear and understand and, and, and debate two opposing views, but you can't believe two opposing thoughts at the same time for any length. So what you have to decide if you are telling a lie or presented with telling the truth, what does that do to your integrity? If, if the Bible says a house divided against, a mind divided against itself can't endure. It has a toll emotionally. We know it has a toll spiritually, but it has a toll emotionally. At some point, you have to decide, this lie I've told to my spouse, to my parents, on my application for the university, my application at work, at some point, you have to decide, am I going to reject the lie and embrace the truth? Or am I going to keep the truth hidden? Push it down as long as I can and embrace the lie. Because, you know, I've thought about the consequences of going to my boss, confessing that lie to my spouse, going to my mom, going to my dad, telling him how I've lied I've thought about the consequences, and I don't think I can do that. At that point, you have to embrace the lie. You will embrace the lie because you cannot keep both of those in your mind. And what does that mean when you start to embrace what is not true? What does that do to your life, to that relationship To that honesty that God is requiring, as he said, in our inward, inmost part.